0: Welcome to this archived LDN Research Trust conference presentation. We hope you enjoy it.
1: Management of chronic pain with low-dose naltrexone. My name is Pradeep Chopra. I'm an assistant professor at the Brown Medical School. I'm also a pain management specialist. Um, This is a standard disclaimer. I have no actual or potential conflict of interest in relation to this presentation or program. The presentation will discuss off-label uses of medications. Discussions in this presentation are for general information purposes only. Please discuss with your physician your own particular treatment. This treatment or discussion is not meant to take place of your doctor. in terms of my disclosure, um, I'm a pain medicine, medicine specialist with a special interest in complex pain conditions. Um, my training was at the Harvard Medical School. I now work as an assistant professor at Brown Medical School in Rhode Island, USA. I am on the medical advisory board for um, the Coalition Against Pediatric Pain. Um, it is a nonprofit organization, uh, and I have no other financial disclosure. <clears throat> So chronic pain um, is, is generally described in three, as three types, um, predominantly. Uh, the first type is structural pain, uh, also known as nociceptive pain. The second type is neuropathic pain. Uh, and then finally, the third type is a mixed, which is between nociceptive and neuropathic pain. In this presentation, I plan on discussing one example of each. Each of the following cases is representative of many cases treated with low-dose naltrexone. Um, I have been using low-dose naltrexone for well over, I would say, about eight to ten years now, and we've had some amazing results. Uh, and I, what I would like to do is i like to share with you an example of each one of these types of pains Uh, and it's not this is not a. this is a typical example it's not a uh, anecdotal experience that I have with these pain conditions Uh, there are many many other examples of these these types of pains. The first example I want to pick up is uh, spinal pain and the use of low-dose naltrexone. Spinal pain um, is predominantly uh, nociceptive pain, uh, there is there is a component of neuropathic pain to, uh, any chronic pain condition has both nociceptive or structural pain and neuropathic pain or nerve pain. Uh, but in this example that I'm going to use, it was predominantly structural pain or nociceptive pain. Uh, This was a 56-year-old lady who presented with severe back pain uh, approximately five years ago. The pain was across her lower back. It radiated down both her legs. Uh, It was a constant pain, and she would have intermittent exacerbations, during which she had to basically stop doing anything and sit down or lie down. Uh, She was very non-functional. She couldn't really do anything for herself. Uh, She was dependent on others to help her. She had had three back surgeries, um, a lumbar discectomy uh, and two lumbar fusions. Uh, None of the surgeries really made a significant difference to her pain. Uh, When I saw her, she was on gabapentin, 600 milligrams, three times a day ibuprofen 200 milligrams as needed and then she was on lisinopril for blood pressure, sertane, uh 40 milligrams for depression and zolpidem for sleep. She did have severe insomnia mostly because of her back pain. She had already tried and failed for her pain other antidepressants uh, especially from the tricyclic uh, group like amitriptyline and nortriptyline. She had already uh, tried various uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. She had tried anticonvulsants. Uh, she had used a TENS unit. She even had a spinal cord stimulator, which was implanted, uh, which really didn't help her at all. She had tried muscle relaxants, uh, opioids, and, and lots of physical therapy. None of these had made a significant difference to her pain. She continued to be really non-functional. When we saw her, she had an antalgic gait. Uh, She had significant tenderness to the lumbar region. Uh, We did a lumbar facet joint stress test, and it was positive bilaterally. Uh, She had cyclic joint pain uh, bilaterally. Her straight leg raising test was positive on the right, which implies that she had some disc pain uh, period. She... uh, was unable to walk more than 30 feet, um, after which she had to rest, and um, she had absent uh, deep tendon reflexes to the right knee. So the treatment strategy here was to um, see if we could take away some of the inflammatory component of her pain. Uh, she was, uh, we tried lumbar steroid injections to the transitional facet joints. These are the joints that are above and below the fusion And she reported mild to moderate relief. Um, We tried sacroate joint injections. She reported some uh, moderate relief. Uh, Mm. She did not have any relief with lumbar epidural steroid injections, which are usually done for discogenic pain. Overall, the injections provided her with moderate relief, but it wasn't consistent. Uh, She continued to have disabling pain. Uh, She was not Functional at all. I started on low dose naltrexone at 2.5 milligrams every morning for two weeks. Uh, I usually start my patients at half the dose um, and I usually start them at two and a half milligrams. Uh, it's just a personal preference. Um, what I've had in the past experiences is that if patients develop a side effect. It really just turns them off uh, taking the drug in the future. So I try to introduce it slowly. Um, so anyway, I started on two and a half milligrams every morning for two weeks. And then after about two weeks, I put her on four four 4.5 milligrams of low-dose narutrexone, again in the morning. The reason I chose morning is that um, a lot of these patients have insomnia from low-dose Um uh, <clears throat> And <clears throat> So I prefer starting it in the morning and then once they're used to it, I switch them to, to taking it at night. So after after about a month, uh, she was on 4.5 4. milligrams of low-dose naltrexone at night. In four weeks, she was able to walk 100 feet, um, which is about three times what she was t- walking before. Uh, when she had first come to me, she was walking about 30 feet. Um, she was not as tired And she also had greatly improved cognitive functioning, um, mostly because the pain wasn't as severe. After about two months, she was able to um, do her own grocery shopping, um, which was about a process that took about one hour. She was able to cook. Uh, She didn't really need any more injections, so we held off on that. And by six months uh, she was doing significantly well. She was volunteering at her church uh, Sunday school. Uh, she was looking for a job. Uh, uh, again, she was she still had baseline pain, but she didn't have as many flare-ups. She had more good days than bad days. She um in terms of her side effects, she had uh, headaches uh, initially which resom- responded well to acetaminophen. But after approximately two weeks of taking low-dose the headaches are uh, resolved. My next example is that of a severely painful condition known as complex regional pain syndrome. Uh, it's predominantly a neuropathic pain condition. It is. It involves nerves. Uh, again, like I explained to you, all chronic pain conditions have both neuropathic pain as well as uh nociceptive pain uh but this in this case this is predominantly a neuropathic pain condition with some joint pain and muscle pain also uh just to give you an idea what complex regional pain syndrome or crps is known as um it's it is definitely a nerve pain condition it usually starts after a trauma <clears throat> it can start after a Simple needle stick injection or a sprain or after a surgery. Um, it is the most painful condition known to mankind. Uh, according to the McGill Pain um, Scale, this a CRPS is rated as pain that is worse than amputation or labor pain. Uh, unfortunately, it is fairly common in the United States. There are about 20,000 new cases every year. Uh the sad part is that there are really no great drugs that work on it uh, it's a It's a severely neuropathic pain condition and there are really not many drugs that work on it It affects both adults and children so this case is a very typical case uh that I picked up um of c r p s this is a fifteen year old girl she was a fifteen year old girl when i first who had, when she was 15 years old, she had sprained her left foot. She was running in school. She injured her left foot, nothing major. She continued to have severe pain to the left foot despite um, all sorts of treatments. Um, she had all sorts of testing done, MRIs, EMGs, X-rays. Uh, they were all normal. Uh, she was diagnosed tentatively to have um, ligaments strain, sprain and her foot was placed placed in a cast Uh, unfortunately the pain continued to worsen despite the cast now that is a classical symptom of crps Um, when the when the limb is immobilized they continue to have uh, severe pain she uh, the cast was removed and she was noted to have classical symptoms of crps which include uh, swelling pain to touch which is known as allodynia. She had a temperature uh, difference between her left foot and her right foot. Um, she had color difference. her left foot was dark, uh, darker in color it was bluish uh, in color as compared to the right. Uh, she underwent physical therapy, she had spinal injections, she had medications uh, all with uh, no change in fact, she started to develop a similar um, pain in the right lower extremity. Also, um, because she wasn't responding to treatments, um, the hospital figured thought it would be a psychiatric condition. She was diagnosed with conversion disorder. Uh, her mother, who took her from took her to various uh, doctors for her treatment. Um, was accused by the hospital of child neglect uh, because she sought treatment with other doctors. Uh, Child protection services were involved and um, that ended all treatment for her. And her condition continued to worsen and now uh, she was in a wheelchair because of uh, CRPS to both her legs. When I saw her, she was um, 18 years old. Uh, She had had this pain for about three years now. Uh, It was excruciating pain to both her legs. She had even attempted suicide once because of her pain and because of being accused of uh, conversion disorder. Uh, She had also started to develop complications of CRPS, including dizziness, palpitations, a condition known as POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. She uh, had significant atrophy of both her uh, legs. Um, She had dystonia to the left ankle. Uh, Because of the severity of the case, uh, she was started on low-dose intravenous ketamine infusions and LDN. Uh, She started to have a significant response to the low-dose intravenous ketamine infusions uh, and over the, over the next three months, the infusions were stopped. Uh, they were actually, uh, the, the, the interval between the infusions was increased, um, uh, over time. And by about three months, it was stopped. She continued to, um, she continued on low dose naltrexone with significant improvement in pain and function. By six months, um, her pain was, uh quite well controlled, enough that she could start uh, some low-level physical therapy uh, because of the severe atrophy she had to both her legs. She progressed slowly um, and the physical therapy was increased as uh, she tolerated it. Um, After a year, she was able to walk on her own. Uh, She was able to donate her wheelchair to charity. She does continue to have pain. Uh, but it is tolerable. She's, she's ambulates on her own. She's really on no medications other than Lodos, Narotrexone, and Propranolol. The Propranolol was for the POTS. Uh, this is actually her picture um, on the left, as you can see, uh, the dark red foot. Um, there's dystonia to the foot, uh, and this was before the LDN. Uh, And then now you can see the right foot again after she was started on LDN, after about, I think this was about a year later. (laughs) The other condition that I wanted to talk to you about was a mixture of nociceptive, or structural pain and neuropathic pain. Uh, This is uh, at one time considered to be a rare condition, but now it's a fairly common condition called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome uh the reason i chose this condition is because this is a condition that presents with with equal severity in terms of structural pain and neuropathic pain <clears throat> this is a 22 year old lady who had pain to multiple joints including her head neck shoulders uh and it had been increasing over the last one year uh she was the pain would increase with weight bearing uh, walking uh, the best relief she would get would be sitting in a recliner. Uh, she had a lot of pain uh, also localized to her right knee. She had a uh, popping sensation, which was um, subluxation and dislocations to her joints um, in the right lower extremity when she would walk. Um, she had similar subluxations and dislocations to her shoulders uh, and her hip joint period. She also reported uh, dizziness and palpitations, easy bruising, uh, which are all symptoms of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Uh, The only medicine that she could tolerate was ibuprofen, which provided her with just moderate relief, but for a very short while period. She was told that she's double jointed. Um, In her past medical history, she had significant um, severe growing pains uh, on physical examination, her right knee was, had a hypermobile patella. She had hyperextension of both her knees. Her skin is, was smooth and velvety. Her biton score was 6 or 9 uh, These are all symptoms of um, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Uh, a biton score of 6 or 9 is considered significant for um, ADS. Uh, she h- had small scars, which were paper-thin and atrophic. Um, an MRI of her joints was uh, normal. Uh, These patients usually don't have anything on the MRI because it's predominantly a condition of subluxation and dislocations. So in static pictures, they really don't demonstrate any, uh, any difference. So in summary, this is a young woman with diffuse body pain to her muscles, joints, uh, with a connective tissue disorder that was both nociceptive and neuropathic in nature, she had tried and failed all sorts of treatments. So when I saw her, I started her on proprioception exercises. These are exercises that are used to develop uh, joint position sense. She was started on muscle strengthening exercises. Uh, uh, these are so the exercises were meant to strengthen her muscles. I started her on low-dose naltrexone at 4.5 milligrams, and I did bracing for her right knee joint, which was severely hyperextended. Approximately two weeks later, she was able to uh, stand. She was able to walk up to a block. Um, She did continue, there was no difference to her pain in the upper and lower back, uh, but she was able to weight bear somewhat, and she was able to walk. In about four weeks, she was able to walk up a flight of stairs without stopping. She could be on a treadmill for 30 minutes at low resistance. And in three months, she had significantly decreased in pain, and she was no longer taking um, any of her medications for pain. Approximately a year later, um, she slipped on ice and fell. She fractured her left fibula. She underwent an open reduction and in internal fixation. Uh, for the surgery, her low dose was stopped. Um, she forgot to restart it um, after the surgery. So she really wasn't on it for about three months. Uh, she started to notice uh, her general body pain returning. Uh, she started to have diffuse body pain, upper back pain, lower back pain, shoulders, knees. Um, I restarted her low-dose nitrexone, and by two months, she was back to functioning again. She has been on low-dose nitrexone for the last two years. Her pain is much better controlled. She does take naproxen occasionally. She's now in, um, she's actually graduated from nursing school uh, and is uh, holds a full-time job. So one of the theories uh, that Mark Cooper um Dr Mark Cooper who's 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 really a brilliant um scientist um coined this term inside out stand down therapy um i i find it really unique and i found it really helpful so the idea was that to um that we can extinguish neuroinflammation in the primary afferent using uh, something known as the inside-out pharmacology, which means that we want to suppress inflammation inside the nerve, as well as we want to suppress any inflammatory mediators outside the nerve. The simplest and most cost-effective form of inside-out pain therapy is to use a combination of low-dose naltrexone and naproxen. Uh, Again, uh, Dr. Mark Cooper, really brought this to my attention and I found it really very helpful and useful. Uh, so the idea being that the LDN would suppress neuro, neuroinflammation inside, while naproxen would suppress any neuroinflammation outside. Some of the pain conditions that I have successfully treated with low-dose are headaches and migraines. Uh, these are really complex migraine conditions that. I found some, some good good relief. Again, I don't, I don't want to give you the impression that all migraines and headaches can be treated with LDN, but we've had fairly decent success. Uh, neuropathic pain, muscular pain, tendonitis. Uh, LDN is a drug that's, um, that can, uh, it's worth trying it. Uh, it has a very low side effect profile. It is a very inexpensive drug. And again, it's not a magical drug that'll that'll uh, help everyone, but it does help in a lot of cases. Uh, I've not had much success with uh, trigeminal neuralgia and post neuralgia. Thanking you again. Again, thank you very much to the LDN Trust for hosting this conference. The basic mechanism of how what happens in chronic pain. Uh, just to recap, and those who weren't here, Uh, we talked about peripheral sensitization where the nerves in the peripheries get sensitized by this chemical soup. Uh, And then there's this barrage of pain signals that go to the central nervous system, the spinal cord and the brain. And then the brain and the spinal cord gets sensitized as a result of which uh, lots of things happen, glial cells get activated, Uh, there's inflammation of the nerves, and we have what is called chronic pain. Uh, chronic pain, as I mentioned, is not a uh, not a good thing. It's not a protective reflex anymore. It's now considered a disease. Uh, today I'm going to present to you three different kinds of pain patients that we saw. Uh, this is not just, they're not examples by themselves. They're not individual cases. They represent uh, lots of other patients, uh, each one of them, uh, but I didn't want to go through dozens of them. Uh, <clears throat> there are three types of uh, pain conditions you can look at. One is called the structural pain. So if I break a bone, that's structural pain. Or if I cut my skin, or bruise it, or bang a hammer on my thumb, that's structural pain. I broke something, I have tissue damage, it's structural pain. Uh, if I have a nerve condition where my nerve is damaged, that's neuropathic pain. So peripheral neuropathy, diabetic neuropathy, complex regional pain syndrome, these are all pain conditions, uh, mostly neuropathic pain. Uh, And then you have, which is the most common type, which is a mixed uh, nociceptive as well as neuropathic pain, which is where you have, both of them exist together, structural pain as well as neuropathic pain. Mm -hmm. Now, so each of these conditions that I'm gonna discuss today is quite, in in some ways they're all all mixed pain conditions, but, some of them, the first one will be more structural, less neuropathic pain. The second one is more neuropathic, less structural pain. And the third one is kind of equal. <clears throat> and then, of course, uh, the, whole idea to, the whole idea behind presenting these cases is to show the use of LDN in uh, treatment of chronic pain. Uh, let's talk about spinal pain and low-dose naltrexone. Now, again, like I said, this is predominantly structural pain with a component of neuropathic pain. A 56-year-old lady, she uh, presented with significant lower back pain five years ago. Uh, The pain was across her lower back. It radiated down both her legs. Uh, It was a constant pain, and in between there were these exacerbations. Give me one second while I set my timer. I don't trust your timer. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a it is a constant like most back pains. It's constant, chronic pain, and then you know some days it's bad, some days it's okay. Uh, she's had three back surgeries. Uh, uh, actually, there were two back surgeries: lumbar discectomy with lumbar fusion, and then she had a revision of her fusion. Uh, none of the surgeries really made that big a difference. Uh, did tons of physical therapy. Uh, <clears throat> And by the time I saw her, she was on oxycodone sustained release, uh, 40 milligrams twice a day. Uh, and then she was taking oxycodone with acetaminophen or paracetamol uh, up to six times a day. Uh, gabapentin, ibuprofen, lisinopril for our blood pressure, sertraline for depression, and zolpidem for sleep. Uh, she had already tried and failed antidepressants. She had tried non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen and all anticonvulsants, she had tried a TENS unit, she had failed a spinal cord stimulator, Uh, she had tried and failed a muscle relaxants. None of these had provided any adequate relief Uh, and obviously if she was in my office she was in quite a bit of pain. So when I examined her she had an antalgic gait which is kind of a painful gait. Uh, She was tender to her lower back. Uh, There are her facet joints, her lumbar facet joints, were tender, which means that the spine has joints on both sides. On the back, there are there's a parallel rows of joints. These are tiny little joints, uh, and they often get uh, inflamed. And she was when I tested those joints, they were both uh, they were tender on both sides. Uh, Sacroiliac joints are joints in your more like in your buttock area. They are a part of the pelvis, uh, and they were tender also. Um, and the straight leg raising test is for doing a nerve test, uh, and that was positive on the right, which isn't surprising in somebody who's had these kind of surgeries. Uh, She couldn't walk more than 30 feet, uh, uh, which is about nine meters. Her tendon reflexes to the right knee were absent. So, came up with a treatment treatment strategy. We talked about doing steroid injections. and we, one of the things we did, tried was doing steroid injections at the transitional level. So if you have the spine, if it's fused, uh, oftentimes what happens is the, the joints at the unfused and the fused uh, level, they start to hurt. So if, my, if this is my spine and if I were to fuse this joint, then the lower joint and the upper joint has to work harder and so they often hurt more. And that's one of the big things which is against lumbar fusions. But in any case, the pain was from her joints uh, below the fusion. They were hurting. Uh, We tried some steroid injections. Uh, She had some mild to moderate relief. We tried uh, doing some steroid injections into the sacral joint injections, and she had some moderate relief from it. Didn't get much relief from a lumbar steroid injection, uh, epidural steroid injection. We tried different kinds. There's something called transforaminal. Nothing outstanding, no outstanding relief, just had some good, some moderate pain relief. Uh, But she continued to be in disabling pain. So the next process was that because she was getting some moderate pain relief from the injections, uh, and I talked to her about coming off the opioids, Uh, one of the concerns about being on high doses of opioids is something a situation called opioid hyperalgesia, where... Being on a high dose of opioid, it actually causes glial cell activation, which makes you much more sensitive to pain, and she was all for it. Um, we tried to. We started a process of tapering her off it, and as we tapered her off it, uh, for pain relief in between, we continued with the steroid injections. Uh, it was about three months before we could get her off the... Steroid, uh, the the opioids. I'm sorry. We first tapered off the uh, her off the long acting, the sustained relief opioids, and then the short acting. Uh, after which she reported she did have some rough uh, days. After which she improved. Uh, she reported significant improvement in her cognitive functioning, uh, but the pain was pretty much the same. There was not much difference. Uh, and then. At some point, I started her on low-dose naltrexone at 2.5 milligrams every morning for two weeks. Uh, that's kind of my little thing I do. Uh, anyway, after two weeks, I uh, went up to 4.5 milligrams every morning, uh, and then eventually went to 4.5 milligrams at night. After about four weeks, she, was, she told me that she could walk to about, four, about 100 feet, uh, but most importantly, she wasn't as fatigued. And obviously, her cognitive functioning was much better. That could have been an effect of the LDN, or it could have been an effect of coming off her opioids. Uh, After eight weeks, uh, she was able to buy groceries, uh, which was like an hour project. She was able to cook. uh, And at this point, I held off on doing any more injections, and we sort of decided to do them on an as-needed basis. Uh, Six months later, she started... um, Looking for a, she started working at the at her uh, Sunday school, uh, church Sunday school, which was once or twice a week, and then she's started looking for a job, and she's able to function much more. She does continue to still have baseline pain and very rare flare-ups, but the fact that she's much more functional is an, is is what was uh, an indicator of how well her uh, low dose naltrexone was. Uh, she does have more good days than bad days. Um, The side effects that she reported were uh, headaches uh, in the beginning, which eventually resolved with paracetamol or acetaminophen. And then they... um... So this was a case of predominantly structural pain with a component of nerve pain. Uh, And most spinal pains are like that. They do have both, uh, structural and neuropathic pain, this is a um this is a horrible condition complex regional pain syndrome c r p s used to be known as reflex sympathetic dystrophy in the old days uh this is a predominantly neuropathic pain, so these patients have mostly nerve pain but some joint pain <clears throat> uh just to give you an idea of what c r p s is it uh, it's usually starts after a trauma uh it's the most painful condition known to mankind it's According to research at the McGill University, it's worse than having your digit amputated or cancer pain. Uh, In the United States, we're not quite sure how many new cases we get every year, but the estimate is about 20,000 new cases every year. And like all neuropathic pain conditions, there are no good drugs that work on it. And this can affect both adults and children. So I I picked it, Little girl, fifteen years old uh, she when she was fifteen years old, she sprained her left foot. Uh, it was a severe pain to her left foot uh, she underwent x rays MRIs, emgs a uh, whole slew of tests, uh, all of which were normal but so it was decided by the by the, by her doctor to put her foot in a cast, sort of to give it a rest till it got better. Uh, unfortunately, when the foot was put in a cast, the pain got worsened. Uh, this was a classical symptom of CRPS. If you immobilize it, the pain gets worse. Uh, She was seen at a children's hospital in Boston. She underwent extensive physical therapy, spinal injections, medications, uh, but no no significant change in her condition. The pain then started to mirror to her right leg. And that's again another feature of CRPS. It can actually spread uh, and mirror to the other opposite side. And So this 15-year-old girl was then told that, uh, well, you're not responding to any of the treatments we've offered you. Uh, it must be that you're just making it up. And she was uh, referred to psychiatry for a diagnosis of conversion disorder. For those of you who don't know conversion disorder, it's uh, something you really don't want. It's a, it's, it basically means that you're converting your, your psychological issues into uh, manifesting it as a pain condition in your foot. Uh, the mother, uh, the parents were distraught. They started looking for other places for help. And because they were looking at other doctors for help, uh, she was accused of child neglect uh, and the dreaded child protection services were involved. All treatments were then withdrawn because now it was considered to be a psychological condition. Meanwhile, uh, her condition continued to worsen. Uh, now she was in a wheelchair because her CRPS had worsened to both her legs. So when I saw her, three years had gone by, she was now 18 years old, um, excruciating pain to both her legs. She had even tried to take her life once. Uh, <clears throat> uh, and by now, she had also developed complications of CRPS, uh, one of which is uh, called POTS, Postural Orthostatic Tachycardia Syndrome, which is a presentation of dizziness and uh, heart beating faster or racing. Her lower leg muscles had atrophied. Obviously, she wasn't using them anymore. She had dystonia to her left ankle. That's the foot that she had the CRPS in, which means the muscle... Dystonia is, means that the muscle has gone into a spasm. Uh, anyway, uh, so she had tried everything. She, she had failed every treatment. Uh, so we, we, we started her on uh, low-dose intravenous ketamine infusions and low-dose naltrexone. Uh, ketamine uh, is a drug that's used. It's just been around for thirty, forty years. It's been used. It's used mostly in the operating rooms for uh, anesthesia and pain. Uh, anyway, there's some research to show that it's effective in CRPS, and that was the only thing that hadn't been tried yet. So we started her on that, um, and over the she started to respond. And in fact, she had a significant response. And over the next three months, we stopped doing the infusions but continued her on low-dose naltrexone with significant improvement in her pain and function. Six months after this, um, uh, we started her on a very low level of physiotherapy, which we progressed as tolerated to a higher level. Because now we have a lot of work to do. We have three years of muscle atrophy and uh, (coughs) not using her limbs. Uh, So we started at a very low level, uh, progressed slowly over it, after a year, she donated her wheelchair to charity. She continues to have pain, but it's much more tolerable. Uh, the only medication she's right now on is LDN and propranolol. Propranolol is a drug used for treatment of POTS. Uh, as I speak, uh, she's graduating this summer, uh, and she's hoping to walk up the stage to receive a diploma. Now, this is this is a classical example of a patient with CRPS, it's not this one is, of course, a girl that I, uh, I, I know is a real case, but it she represents a lot of these patients in adults and children who come in with CRPS, uh, which is a predominantly neuropathic pain with a component of nociceptive pain or structural pain. The next... So this is... Oh, this is... I wanted to show you some pictures. Um, the graphics on the screen don't look as good as they look on the computer but you can see they have a color change so you can see how her right leg this is not the same patient by the way this is a different patient you can see her right leg is uh, dark in color as compared to the left leg you can see her ankle you can see the swelling over here you can see the swelling here Uh, that's again a feature of this condition you can see some bruises over here that's again a feature of this condition they have unexplained bruises This is another patient with a similar condition. Uh, Temperature over here was 88 degrees, our left foot was 94 degrees. There's a temperature difference, there's a huge temperature difference between the affected side and the unaffected side. Uh, You can see swelling over, you can see the marks of her um, socks. Uh, So this was a woman who had some surgery for her bunion, I believe. And you can see the difference now, obviously, when they labeled her as conversion disorder, I don't know how she could do this, uh, show a color change or a temperature change even. Uh, this is, again, not her, somebody else. Uh, <clears throat> this, is, this is to show you the dystonia. This is a classical example of a dystonia. Uh, you can see the, see the red, red foot. Uh, and then this was, um, I think, about eight or nine months after being on LDN. Uh, the same foot. There was no ketamine involved in this. So, <clears throat> my next ca- condition, my next patient is a condition called Ellis Danlos syndrome. Uh, it's considered to be a rare condition, uh, but we're now realizing it's not as rare as we thought it to be. Uh, on an average, we now we estimate uh, very a very conservative estimate is about ten percent incidence uh, in the United States. This is a classical example of both nociceptive pain and neuropathic pain so these patients have both at a pretty high level structural pain as well as nerve pain so you'll have to bear with me the story is a little longer Um, this is a 22 year old lady who came to me with pain to multiple areas of the body head neck shoulders elbows wrists right knee right buttock for many years and had increased over the last one year uh, just to give you an idea of what Ehlers-Danlos syndrome is, uh, it's, these are patients who are born with this condition. Their joints are loose. Their connective tissue is very lax. Their joints are very hypermobile. Uh, and so they can—they are, they are the ones who can do, I don't know if you've seen that show um, Circus Soleil, the people who squeeze through tubes and do all sorts of contortions. That's exactly what Ehlers-Danlos syndrome is about. Uh, so these people are have very hypermobile joints, their joints are lax, they dislocate them, they sublux them all the time, uh, and that causes a slew of problems, a slew of medical problems that come over with that. Um, so anyway, she had had pain pretty much most of her life, but over the last one year it had become worse, uh, and over the last six months it was becoming unbearable. The pain would increase with weight-bearing, walking, she got some relief with sitting down, uh, taking her weight off. It was, most of her pain that she wanted was to, was to look, look at was her right knee. And she described a popping sensation to her right leg, her right knee. And her right leg would give out occasionally when walking. So when you, on further questions. Now because these people are born with this kind of pain, they don't realize that that's not normal. They don't realize that. And oftentimes, we have to probe in a little deeper to find out what's going on. Uh, so anyway, on further questioning, she said that she had similar popping sensation to her shoulders. Uh, she was dislocating her right shoulder, her hip. Uh, she reported pain to her upper back, uh, and you know aches and pains to her different parts of the body. Uh, she did report uh, dizziness uh, and palpitations. Uh, she had easy bruising. She was on a, an opioid called hydrocodone uh, and was just providing her with very mild relief, uh, and ibuprofen, which provided a little bit more relief. Um, and she was always told that she was double-jointed and she could do party tricks like placing her feet behind her head. Anyway, um, so you know, when I went into, I delved a little deeper. Her past medical history was significant for severe growing pains, and that's that's very relevant in in Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Uh, they have very severe growing pains. They're, these pains are usually in the legs. Um, her, on you know, on examination, I examined her right knee. There was, her kneecap was very hypermobile, and there was hyperextension of both her knees. Her skin was smooth and velvety, which is, again, another feature of this condition. Now, you can score this condition, and there's a Byten scoring system, which where nine is the maximum, and she rated about six. That doesn't mean how severe it was, but it's just that it was positive. Uh, She had hypermobile ankles, she had flat feet, um, she had scars that were paper thin and atrophic. These are all signs of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and obviously her MRIs were all normal. There was nothing in an MRI. So she had tried and failed every medicine known to mankind, uh, even some not known to mankind. In summary, uh, this is a young lady with diffuse body pain, mostly muscles and joints, both with with a connective tissue disorder that is both nociceptive and neuropathic. Uh, So she had both structural pain and nerve pain. This is to give you an example of what it looks like. uh, It's part of the scoring system, actually, and you can see uh, they can touch touch their thumb to their forearm, uh, which is hypermobility of the of the wrist joint there, uh, they classically kids will like to sit in that what's called the classical W position. Uh, again, this is their lax. They have they have very uh, lax uh, knee joints, uh, ankle joints. Uh, this is uh, you can see a hyperextension of the elbow joint. Uh, you can see hyperextension of the knee joints. See how the knee is bowing backwards. <coughs> so anyway. Uh, so after a clinical, di- it's a clinical diagnosis. Diagnosing Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is a clinical diagnosis. So after diagnosing her with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, uh, we started her on something called proprioception exercises. These are exercises done for getting their joint sense back. We, we all have what is called joint position sense, which a brain knows exactly where our joints are at any given time. Uh, these people lose that. And so we started her, They are very gentle exercises uh, started on some muscle strengthening exercises, again, trying, not to, trying to avoid um, damaging her joints. Uh, started her on low-dose naltrexone, and for the right knee joint, I, I started using a brace. Two weeks later, she was able to walk a block, which is about 50 feet or 15 meters. Uh, she still continued to have pain in her upper and lower back. Four weeks after starting low-dose naltrexone, she was able to walk up a flight of stairs without stopping. Up till now she used to walk one step and then another step and then another step. Uh, she could use a treadmill for 30 minutes at low resistance, uh, which is kind of surprising because she didn't realize it, that she could do that. And then she was on the treadmill and she didn't even look at the time and she realized it was 30 minutes had gone by. Uh, by 12 weeks of low-dose naltrexone, she had a significant decrease in her pain uh, she was no longer taking any, of her, any other medications at this time. Fourteen months later, a year and a, about a year later, she slipped on ice and fell. You remember how I said they have poor joint sense? So they fall a lot. And so anyway, she slipped on ice and fell. She fractured her left fibula. Fibula is a, is a bone in the leg below the knee on the, on the side. Um, she underwent surgery for it. They did an open reduction, internal fixation. And obviously, for the surgery, her uh, LDN was stopped. Um, and it wasn't, for some reason, it wasn't restarted. Um, you know, they forgot, we forgot, but it wasn't restarted for about three months. And that's when she started to complain of increasing pain to her upper back, lower back, shoulders, knees. Uh, so we restarted her low dose uh and she was back to functioning again. She's been on the LDN for the last 18 months. Uh, her pain is much better controlled. She still has pain. It's not, I, don't want to sh- I don't want to give you the impression that low-dose nitrexone is a miracle drug that makes your pain go away. But it does decrease your pain enough. It does get your functioning back. She does take naproxen uh, occasionally. Uh, she's now planning in, on going into nursing school for her career.
0: Any questions or comments you may have, please email me linda l-i-n-d-a at ldnrt.org. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciated your company. Until next time, stay safe and keep well.